Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 43 of the Snyder Cut. I am your host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider. And today, forgive me if I'm, I'm peeling up top, got a, got a lot of sun over the weekend. Today, let's start with Universal and AMC. That was the sort of big seismic groundbreaking deal that is going to have gigantic repercussions for the entire film industry. So what happened was, uh, you know, Universal and AMC, they engaged in this war of words sort of all summer long. Uh, it got really heated in March, April, around the time that Universal decided to send Trolls World Tour to premium VOD at a cost of, I think it was $20, uh, a rental. And, and they just, they gave AMC uh, and theater owners just very little notice. They, just, they were just like, we've made this decision. This is what we're doing. You're either on board with it or, or not. Um, and, and AMC was like, we're not. Uh, and they banned Universal movies from their theaters going forward, even though, you know, you kind of need... Movies like Jurassic World 3 and Fast 9 and Minions 2 to bring people back to theaters. Um, <clears throat> so this week, they cut a deal that closes the, the, the window, the theatrical window, to 17 days, which is three weekends. And that is traditionally when movies make, I would say, around 70 to 75% of their theatrical gross. You know, it's very rare to have a movie you know, whether it's The Greatest Showman or There's Something About Mary that has legs and just plays and plays and plays for months. Jumanji was like that as well. Uh, so, so, you know, something that, that, that can continue playing or something that maybe opens week and then there's word of mouth or whatever and experiences a bump in week three or four, you know, whatever it is. I, th- I feel like Scream was a movie like that, that Scream, you know, sort of took a little while to blow up like it came out in mid-December and I think you know by January it was like a phenomenon but so still those are very rare cases we're talking about movies that are 20-25 years old at this point Um, so after the 17 days Universal can make the can it doesn't mean that they will but they can they have the option to release those movies directly on premium VOD at a cost of $20 pop so it's like you know if you're if you're single it makes sense to see that movie in a the theater because, you know, a ticket at, at a theater is likely going to be under $20. I mean, I'm sure that there are theaters that charge you more than 20 depending on the experience. Maybe you're going to an IPIC theater. Um, but, you know, for the most part, a movie ticket, 12 13 14 even 15 bucks, I guess, if you're in Los Angeles. Um, but if you're, you know, a couple and, you know, Kajillionaire, two tickets are going to cost you 30 bucks. Maybe it makes sense now to wait three weeks and watch it uh, at home. Uh, you know, with your significant other for 20 bucks. So, you know, Matt Goldberg wrote an interesting column um, for Collider about why this is like a bad thing. It's a bad thing for new voices. I'm not sure I, I entirely agree. I feel like what um, what could happen with all of this is that like you know what we were what we have been seeing the last few years is the death of the mid-budget movie right they're they're either making five million dollar blumhouse movies or they're making 200 million dollar action movies but the middle has been cut out and the middle is sort of where amazon netflix those kinds of places have been operating a plate i mean you know with the occasional you know big swing exception 
Um, what I think is going to happen is now that not only, uh, you know, with the 17 day thing, you can take advantage of a film's theatrical marketing campaign and sort of apply it now to a home video release. It's not coming three or four months later. We have to sort of, you know, start all over again. Uh, so I actually think that more indie movies, so to speak, more non gigantic action superhero blockbuster things are going to get made because you know universal can decide to just put them on on vod 17 17 days later uh and and so while vod doesn't make sense to put a jurassic world 3 because you know that costs 200 million dollars and it's tough to recoup that on vod you know something like kajillionaire which i wrote up the trailer for today and we're going to talk about that trailer uh, in a little in a little bit it's like they can put that on VOD 17 days later, you know, uh, the same thing with John Stewart's uh, Irresistible, which went on VOD anyways, because there were no theaters, but those are the kinds of level of movies that, you know, they, they, they can do that for. I think that they can also do it with bombs, you know, like Mortal Engines, rather than put Mortal Engines out in theaters and just kind of let it sit there uh, with nobody going to see it. They can put it out in theaters and then have it out on VOD 17 days later. So it allows them to sort of uh, release their turkeys there. And, and plus, it's like, just because a movie's getting a, a theatrical release doesn't mean Universal's giving it, like, major backing. They can sort of dump movies into a handful of theaters, whatever the contractual obligation is. Maybe it's a 500 screen release. They can just do that. And then use all those marketing dollars to really, uh, you know, push for, the, you know, the, the VOD, the premium VOD rental uh, 17 days later. Now, the thing about this is that you can't really just do it with AMC because the other theaters could be like, well, fine, we're not just, we're just not going to book Universal movies, you know? Um, and, and Universal can't just afford to release Jurassic World 3 and only AMC theaters. I mean, I know that they are the largest distributor, but it does, doesn't mean that they own all the screens or anything like that. So, you know, each studio is going to have to cut a deal with each theater chain. And, and it's bad for mom and pop because, those, you know, you're not going to see press releases um, about a studio cutting a deal with a, a little tiny theater. It's gonna, you're going to see, re, you know, AMC, Regal, Cinemark. And once those sort of get on board, I imagine that the mom and pop ch uh, chains will as well. Um, the other thing about this is, is you know, profit sharing, you know, AMC has to be getting a piece of the pie in order to allow this. So Universal has, you know, clearly done the math and, and they feel like it, it's worth it to give AMC that slice of the, you know, PVOD pie, if you will. AMC is also uh, putting together its own, like, AMC On Demand app. So you'll be able to watch these Universal movies that come to streaming 17 days later on AMC's app. I don't know if that, if they're going to get a bigger percentage of the split if the movie is rented on their platform as opposed to a third-party platform like iTunes. Uh, you know, the terms of the deal were not exactly, uh, you know, they, they weren't publicized, all, all those terms and stuff. Um, but again, it's like, is this a done deal? I don't know that it is until the other theater, major theater chains get on board. Uh, and But I do think that you will certainly see other studios strike similar deals like this. Maybe not Disney. Um, but I can certainly see, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I can see Sony for, for sure. Um, and probably Lionsgate as well, to be honest. Anyways, it's, it's, it's certainly, it's a big deal, um, because it's sort of, 
it's just resetting the, 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 the table, you know, like we've been, we've been used to different rules the last few months because of the pandemic, but what happens when theaters reopen and, and that is, you know, it's almost like theaters are, are where streaming was once the alternative to theaters. It seems like theaters are going to become the alternative to streaming. And I still think that there's a lot of work done in order to get theaters ready and, and, you know, to train staffs and just to, for, to, to, for people like the the public to modify its own movie going behavior, you know, whether it's, you know, talking during the movie or, or eating the, the concessions and stuff like we're all going to have to adapt if you will, if, if we want the theatrical experience to continue, which we all do and which universal, you know, reiterated its support for, they're clearly committed to it, but it just, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. It makes sense for giant blockbuster movies, but it doesn't make sense for, you know, you should have left. Um, so yeah. Anyways, uh, the Emmy nominations came out as well this week. Uh, it was announced that it's going to be a, a virtual show this year. Obviously they're not going to put on the Emmys. Um, you know, you just can't fill a room full of celebrities. Nobody, nobody wants to be surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people. Um, but anyways, the, the nominations came out. Watchmen was the leader, which is exciting because Watchmen really is like a, a true work of art. It was, it's definitely one of the best shows that, uh, were released over the past 12 months. Um, I want to just look at these outstanding drama series nominees. So like, like Stranger Things got a nomination. I thought that season three, it wasn't my favorite. I mean, it was kind of just doing the same stuff. Better Call Saul, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale. I don't really watch these shows. I know that I should. I have a, I have a, maybe a different just taste in, in television than I suppose most people do. I did watch Killing Eve, The Mandalorian, Ozark, Stranger Things, etc. I don't watch Succession. It seems like Succession's going to run away with this. Um, you know, I, I put all my money, I think, I bet in last year's Emmys because I felt like I, I was sensing a surge of support for Succession, but ultimately, you know, that was about the second season, not the first. Um, yeah, I feel pretty good about Succession winning this. Could the Mandalorian surprise? Yeah, I mean, it could. It could. I thought the Mandalorian was really well done. Um, I don't know if it had quite the same, you know, prestige sheen that it, that a series like Ozark or The Crown or Handmaid's Tale does, but uh, it's, it's possible. Um, I, I, just, I just think it's really cool that, that The Mandalorian did get nominated because it really just showed Disney, like, you're on the right track. These last few Star Wars movies, and I'm almost embarrassed that I, like, predicted that Star Wars Force Awakens or, or the, the last one, uh, Rise of the Skywalker, could get Best Picture nominations because, like, the, the, it just wasn't up there on the screen. The Mandalorian did deliver. I'm not a Star Wars guy, and I really did enjoy that show. Killing Eve, I thought it was a very weak third season so I'm surprised that 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 made the cut um outstanding limited series little fires everywhere Mrs. America unbelievable orthodox and Watchmen I mean this seems like it's going to Watchmen but man unbelievable was was truly terrific um on Netflix didn't watch little fires everywhere got about halfway through Mrs. America uh and and orthodox I didn't watch but everybody tells me I should be couldn't believe American Sun got nominated for outstanding tv movie I thought that was very much a play that just did not translate at all. This seems like bad educations in, in a walk. Like that's just one of the better movies of the year when you put it up against El Camino and Do- Dolly Parton's Heartstrings. Like get out of here. Um, do, 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 do. Let me just some of these other things. It was cool that um, Dave Chappelle 
got nominated, uh, along with John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's 23 Hours to Kill special, and Tiffany Haddish's. Um, I, I'm not a Hannah Gadsby person, but D- Douglas got a nomination uh, after, you know, hot off of uh, Nanette. Um, what else stood out? Well, I was super pissed that, that Tom Pelfrey didn't get nominated. Like, that is ridiculous. I mean, in, in terms of, uh, what did they nominate? Like, three people from Succession in that group? i got to look this up here. Braun. Nick Braun, Kieran Culkin, Matthew McFadden all got nominated for Succession. Like, are you serious? Really, all three of them over Tom Pelfrey for Ozark? That may be a mistake. Jeffrey Wright got nominated for Westworld and Mark Duplass for Morning Show. Billy Crudup for Morning Show. Both of them were, were terrific. Giancarlo and Better Call Saul and Bradley Whitford and Handmaid's Tale. They, I mean, these are just, I don't know. I don't know, guys. Tom Pelfrey did some incredible work. And I just, I'm very surprised that uh, he did not make the cut. Neither did Caitlin Deaver for Unbelievable. Tony Collette did get in, as did Holland Taylor for Hollywood. Uzo Aduba for Mrs. America. Marco Martindale. Tracy Ullman also for Mrs. America. And then Gene Smart for Watchmen. That is a pretty competitive category. I don't know if somebody from Mrs. America will win or if because there's three of them, they'll sort of cancel each other out. Um, Tony Collette was good in, in Unbelievable. I don't know you know, if she's going to be the one who, who wins just because I, I thought Merritt Weaver just was incredible on, on that show. So I feel like Gene Smart, Gene Smart could, could win. Although I loved uh, my, my colleague, Vinny Mancuso tweeted this week. It was a photo of Gene Smart with that big blue dildo from, uh, or vibrator, whatever it is from, from watching. He's like, well, who needs Emmys when you've got one of these? Um, it was nice to see Cecily Strong uh, nominated for SNL. Uh, they had a couple of other guest people nominated, Brad Pitt, as Fauci, Eddie Murphy hosting. I thought that was cool. Um, yeah, listen, the, the, like, I, it was nice to see the morning show, The Outsider, pick up some noms. Um, even Black Mirror, Andrew Scott got nominated for, for the Smithereens episode. But yeah, it, it still, it just feels like it's it's the same people being nominated, even though this year had the, had more like diversity among the, the acting nominees uh, than ever. It just, it, it seems like a very kind of narrow thing box that the Emmys are looking at like how is Mindhunter not it didn't get anything give me a break uh, anyways you don't have to bitch about the Emmys the entire time whatever uh Toronto announced its lineup today not terribly impressive it's like do you really want to go all the way to Toronto you know even if you could which I can't even because I left my passport in Los Angeles I'm, I'm I can't even leave the goddamn country right now uh, is it really worth it to go for like a Kate Winslet movie, Ammonite and, and Nomadland, Francis Norman? Like those are, I'm sure those are going to be good movies and they could very well wind up uh, awards contenders and everything, but there was no like, Oh my God, I, I can't believe this is going to be screening there. I got to get up there. Like, you know, if they were showing Fincher's Mank or something like that, that'd be one story or even the French dispatch, which has, by the way, been removed from the, the, the actual calendar entirely. But yeah, TIFF, uh, its lineup was kind of very similar to, to Venice and Telluride, and everybody's sharing the same movies, and it's not the same without that sense of competition. I get the whole, you know, let's, let's link arms and sing Kumbaya, you know, among the film festivals, but it was a, lot, a little bit more fun um, back when it was just like a brutal arms race. Um, Pixar announced a new movie today. It was called Luca. And it's like, it's set in Italy. It's like a, a coming of age story 
Um, sounded kind of interesting. I'm going to read you the synopsis. Set in a beautiful seaside town on the Italian Riviera, this animated movie is a coming-of-age story about one young boy experiencing an unforgettable summer filled with gelato, pasta, and endless scooter rides. He shares these adventures with his newfound best friend, but all the fun is threatened by a deeply held secret. He's a, he's a sea monster from another world just below the water's surface. I love like movies about friendship and uh, like a movie like Stand By Me. I love those kinds of coming of age movies. Uh, I've been blessed with having good friends uh, my, my entire life. And, and so a movie specifically about, you know, a, a young friendship that is threatened by this deeply held secret. I kind of love it. Like it just sounds interesting. It sounds different than the other, than a lot of the Pixar stuff I've seen lately. Um, there was not, there was a rumor this week that, that uh, soul, the next Pixar movie with Jamie Foxx was going to go directly to Disney plus in November I mean, it came from Jordan Rumi, who, who I think has some decent sources, and, and I generally trust him. But at the same time, it's not quite what my sources were saying. Um, it, it doesn't, again, that doesn't make sense to me. If you have a movie, a Pixar movie, that is a guaranteed moneymaker, why would you not release that into theaters? Like, I, I mean, I'm sure it's going to prompt a lot of signups and subscriptions to Disney+. Plus. But at the same time, it's like, how many more, how many kids don't have Disney Plus right now and, and would sign up for it for just for Soul? I, I mean, they're kids, so they haven't seen all the classics. So if their parents were going to get them Disney Plus, they would it seems like they would have already done it. I just don't know, you know, that, that, it's, that it's going to be worth it to put movies like Soul and certainly Mulan, which is, you know, a $200 million movie. I, I don't see how the economics make sense uh, to put that on Disney Plus. And maybe that's why Mulan was also taken off the theatrical release calendar uh, this past week. Um, speaking of Lucas, Luca Guadagnino signing on to direct a, a feature adaptation of the documentary Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood. This is about uh, Scotty Bowers, who uh, was, was a gay man and, and having, you know, if not having affairs with a lot of other uh, closeted celebrities in Hollywood, he was arranging, uh, you know, affairs for people and sort of you know, playing matchmaker, putting people together. Um, I, you can obviously see why they hired Luca, who who is you know has great sensitivity, uh, knows how to bring passionate romance to the screen. He did Call Me by Your Name, so you know he has his foot, you know one foot one foot in that gay culture, if you will. Um, but then they tapped Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg to write the script. Um, that I mean, it's interesting to me. It's just like you know, Seth Rogen is the guy who. And he didn't write this, but he's the guy in the 40 year old version scene where it's like, you know how I know you're gay. And I just don't know if they were the right two guys. They also seem incredibly busy right now, a little bit stretched thin to be taking on a project like this. I, I might've gone, you know, with like, I mean, if you, if you wanted two straight white guys like uh, Neustadter and Weber or even uh, Karaszewski and, and Alexander could have been interesting. I mean, listen, I, I love Seth and Evan and, and I think that they're definitely capable of making non- frat boy comedy sort of things. Um, I think that they have, like, they're, they're just really good writers and, and certainly good producers as well. They're just an outside the box uh, choice. I might, I might have hired a, a gay screenwriter, a gay screenwriting team. Um, you just don't want, you don't want them making fun of it. Although, I mean, although I, I can see the humor, you know, Scotty, Scotty Bowers was a funny guy. Um, 
so yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with that project. It's definitely one to, to keep an eye on. Here's a little, you know, I'm going to let a little cat out of the bag right now. And I'm not saying that this is happening because I was trying to report on this like a year, year and a half ago. And so it, it's dead. The project is dead. Um, but Rogan and, and Goldberg and, and Point Grey, they were at one point, again, this could come back one day. They were working on, I don't know if it was going to be, it was, I thought it was going to be a movie and then I think it was a series. Um, but it was about the Pam and uh, Pam Anderson, Tommy Lee sex tape. And I think Franco, James Franco was going to play Tommy Lee. Um, so I don't know whatever became of that project, but uh, I would love to see Rogan and Goldberg and, and p- potentially Franco revisit that one day. Um, one to time, I mean, God, how about this Shane Carruth story this week? Holy shit. I mean, before we get into how crazy this dude is, like, I liked Primer. It's not a movie I don't think I'd ever, like, watch again. I, I certainly respected it and the fact that it was made for, like, no money. It looked really cool. Um, Upstream Color was the worst movie that I saw the year that it came out. It was unwatchable. Uh, and, and just, like, marked Shane Carruth to me. It's, like, a super pretentious, pretentious kind of douchebag. Like, I was just like, who would make this movie? Who is this supposed to be for? And, and so when everyone's, like, thinking, oh, the Shane Carruth guy is a genius. I can't wait for the modern ocean. I was just like, uh, I don't know about this guy. Um, so this week, he, he put a, a photo up on Twitter. He sort of self-canceled himself. And it was like an album cover for Upstream Color. But underneath the album cover was a very uh, clearly like arranged um, restraining order that his ex-girlfriend, Amy Simons, had, had taken out on him. And apparently, I think it was like the second restraining order. Uh, so it's like, why? It's like, what a self-own. Like, I used to take pictures of, of my notebooks and, you know, you'd think it's a picture of one thing, but I was actually trying to give you a little bit of a hint, a little clue as to what I'd been working on, maybe written somewhere else on the piece of paper elsewhere in the frame. This guy does it with a restraining order that, that makes him out to be a complete psychopath. And, when, and, like, I just don't understand what would motivate or compel someone to do that. Then the Variety story comes out. The guy is quoted as saying just, like, some crazy shit. And, listen, I have... You know, I've never, I wouldn't say I've stalked an ex-girlfriend, but I've had bad breakups. Like when I uh, broke up with my college girlfriend, like I I was calling her for for probably months. You know, you learn as you grow up with maturity that you want to have a good break with things. You want to want things to end as well as possible. Um, and, and I'm back on, you know, speaking terms, good terms with that college girlfriend. But, like, I just didn't know how to handle it back in the day. And it seems like Shane Carruth has absolutely no idea how to handle it. He's just, he, he's launching threats and, like, you should be scared. And I'm going to, I know where you live. I'm going to find you. Like, that is just unacceptable. Um, and, I mean, it's just... It makes no sense. And, and, but like when he's, people are saying he's trying to sabotage the release of She Dies Tomorrow, I don't understand that at all. Like how would this, how would her taking out a restraining order against this guy or this surfacing, how would that sabotage the release? Is it, that, is it because we're talking about this case, this restraining order instead of her movie? Uh, it seemed like it was actually like, I mean, there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? It seemed like it was actually getting her name out a little bit more the week of release um and here's the thing 
again, I'm a hundred percent in Amy Simons's camp. Like this guy, Shane Carruth sounds dangerous. He sounds like he's had some kind of split. I, I, I followed a little bit of, of the Twitter stuff from his, he, he's been tweeting from the upstream color um, account him or somebody else. And it's just like, this is a dude who, who's having some kind of emotional breakdown or just some kind of mental split. Um, so, you know, I'm a hundred percent pro Amy and, and I, and I, and I like her as an actress and, and that kind of thing. Um, this movie, She Dies Tomorrow, is maybe the worst movie. And I think I talked about this last week, forgive me, but now I can talk, a little, talk about it a little bit more uh, since it comes out tonight. Um, it was the worst movie I've seen all year. Like, I'm just like, who? And, and I guess that's not even like what pisses me off. That like, okay, she made a bad movie, in my opinion. It's their other reviews, which are flipping for this movie. Everyone is just like, oh my God, it's so brilliant. It's this, it's that. I'm like, what are these people seeing in this? There's just nothing to grab onto. Not the cinematography, which, you know, she thinks if you just cast a pink or a blue light on somebody, it makes for an interesting shot. Um, There's no, there's like no script. Like it's just, it was so boring. You're just sitting there. People are just like, I'm going to die tomorrow. And then the other person's like, I'm going to die tomorrow. And it's like, you're not going to die tomorrow. But then they wake up and they're like, I think I am going to die tomorrow. It's like, what? What? So dumb. Give me a break. Spare me your, oh my God, Amy Simons is an unrequited genius. Well, this whole time we've been calling Shane Carruth the genius and it was Amy the whole time. Listen, they've been having, they are now both responsible for two of the worst movies I have seen in the last decade. So them's the breaks. Better luck next time. Uh, Jordan Peele and Issa Rae teaming up for the movie Sinkhole. That sounds interesting. Uh, I believe it's I think the woman's name is Lena, Lena Crow. She, uh, she came up with this movie as part of this writer's group assignment. Um, you know, the, the assignment was to come up with something based on I Married a Monster. Uh, and, and so this this project is going to explore the concept of, of female perfection, female identity, the human condition, all that kind of stuff. It sounds very much up Jordan Peele's alley, but with a, you know, a feminist angle to it. Um, and Issa Rae is going to produce with Jordan Peele, and, uh, and it's being developed as a starring vehicle for her. I don't know why Issa Rae is so reluctant to just say I'm attached to star everything's got to be developed as like even set it off which is like you know they're developing that as a starring vehicle for her at New Line I mean I guess in some sense Issa Rae is smart because it's like eh, I'm not attached to anything until I see a script you know a full script not just a short story not just you know whatever um and she wants to see I'm sure she'll want to see who, who comes in to direct this thing who the studio taps but I mean she's the producer that's her choice at this point uh, I, I, yeah, this is exactly the kind of thing I want to see her in. I've seen Funny Issa. I, I've seen Insecure. Lovebirds was, you know, a bit of a disappointment. I liked her in Little. Uh, I, I actually, um, yeah, Little, Little was a cute movie. But, you know, to see her take on something a little bit more darker and more dramatic, going into a sci-fi horror thriller uh, genre space, I like that for her. And, and I like the idea of her working with, with Jordan Peele. And, and Jordan Peele also uh, supporting, you know, female storytellers. Um, another interesting pairing, Riz Ahmed and uh, Octavia Spencer signing on to star in Michael Pierce's new movie, Invasion. Um, it's, it, this is like about a, Riz Ahmed's going to play like a, a former Marine who goes on the run with his two young sons. 
and tries to protect them from this non-human threat. Octavia Spencer, I think, is the parole officer who sort of tries to bring um, this, this Marine home. I think it's more about the two boys than it is Riz and his sons. I, I think it's about, you know, the two brothers. I don't know if Riz will, will, will die after Act One or, or whatever it is. Um, but it's an interesting trio, him and Octavia, Michael Pierce. I was mixed on Beast, Michael Pierce's debut, but I also thought that it showed um, some real promise. Uh, I was really interested in this movie that he was putting together for a little while called Come As You Are, which was about a female moderator, like a comments moderator, who starts basically tracing, you know, the IP addresses from these, you know, crazy neo-Nazis or whatever site she's, you know, uh, moderating. She starts going, getting revenge on some of the people leaving these horrible, nasty, racist, you know, whatever comments. Um, I don't know what is the status of that project is. I actually don't even think Michael Pierce is attached anymore, but this is going to, this is shaping up to be his follow-up to Beast. They're trying to get this in production before the end of the year. And Riz and Octavia are obviously a great start. They're two fantastic actors, but as with all movies about young kids, it's going to come down to the casting of those uh, two boys. Um, just before we, we went to air, there was a, a story about a within it's called a, it's like an anthology of short films. Uh, and the most interesting thing about this was seeing like who everyone is sort of quarantining with. Like I didn't even realize it said in the air uh, written and directed by Bill Camp and Elizabeth Marvel. Uh, I didn't even know that those two were a couple. I love Bill Camp and Elizabeth Marvel. They're like two of the greatest character actors working right now. Um, had no idea that they were together. Go figure. I didn't even know Arliss Howard was a couple with Deborah Winger. They made a, a movie. Sebastian Gutierrez and Carla Gugino, they made a movie. Um, with, with, you know, I'm so curious about how these sort of anthology projects come together. Like, is there an email that goes out that's like, hey, we've got X amount of dollars. Uh, I can give you you know, a thousand dollars to make a short film with your family or whatever. Did, did, did this, the talent come to a producer be like, Hey, you know, I've been in my house for three months with my family. We had nothing to do. We made a movie, you know, maybe you can do something with it. I, I'm so curious how these anthology things come together. And, and does anybody get reached out to who's like, no, nah, I'm good. I, I don't need to, be, I don't want to make anything. I don't have an idea. Um, I think some of these projects are even written by the celebrities kids themselves. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, Disney Plus picking up Black Beauty. This is the Mackenzie Foy movie that Constantine Film made. They're like the you know the German company. Um, or maybe I just like to call them the German company. <laughs> maybe that's just in my head. Uh, but Mackenzie Foy, you know, Interstellar, Twilight Eclipse. It's her and this horse. The horse is voiced by Kate Winslet. They got an Oscar winner to, to voice this horse. Um, this is a timeless tale that all young girls seem to love. Disney Plus is starving for original movies. You know, they can't just wait for the second season of The Mandalorian to roll around. So it seems like a pretty smart pickup and, and a best case scenario for Black Beauty, which otherwise would have just been a, a very tiny indie release or a VOD release. Um, and speaking of Black Beauty... Uh, that's the Green Hornet's car, and it's going to be in an animated series that Kevin Smith is working on. Uh, he, he, yeah, he's, it's a new animated show about the Green Hornet. This is, you know, they just announced a Green Hornet movie a couple months ago. I don't really see, I don't really get the Green Hornet. Maybe my only exposure to it is, is a Black Lester Seth Rogen movie. And, and I understand Cato, like that appeal, but, uh. Yeah, I, I don't know, Kevin Smith, another animated show, superheroes. I, I just, I don't need it. Um, but yeah, he's working with uh, 
it's kid wild brain wild brain is is developing that uh, superhero series um kevin smith also also dropped a trailer this week for his new horror anthology kilroy was here you know i don't listen to to kevin's podcast so i don't always know the origins of all these different projects and and uh, that kind of stuff but this one sounded like it was his anti-clause movie i do remember you know reading about the development of that project so it, it morphed over the years now it's about I mean, I, he directed all the segments. At first, I think other, you know, different people were going, going to direct different, different segments. Um, but the trailer was super gory. I mean, some of the effects looked, you know, kind of <laughs> shitty. Uh, it, it's a cheap movie. But this is the kind of horror movie that I will certainly pop on late at night. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have a soft spot for Kevin. What can I say? I just like this guy. I like his writing. Even when his movies are terrible, like Yoga Hosers, just just unforgivable. Um, you know, there, there's something, some character. Or, you know, there's something in there for me. Um, and I really like Kevin's genre movies. I, I love Tusk. I really like Red State. So I'm, I'm down to give uh, Kilroy Was Here a shot. A um, couple of interesting TV things this week. The Witcher ordered a prequel, Blood Origin. I don't watch The Witcher, so I don't really care. Um, Adam McKay is launching an HBO series about the hunt for the coronavirus vaccine. That could be interesting. You know, I mean, part of me thinks it's a little, it's like too soon. It's not like they were announcing 9-11 movies on September 12th. Um, so it's like, you know, HBO is now paying, putting money in Adam McKay's pocket. To, I guess, I mean, it's, it is to dramatize some, but it just seems so serious. Like, why not put that money into backing these people who are trying to find a vaccine or something? I mean, I, I know, you know, HBO is not a charity. It's there to make entertainment. But uh, I don't know. I just wish that, people were, were like, I, I'd like to see this vaccine series. I guess it has to, it has to be announced because otherwise someone's going to beat him to the punch on the idea. But like, let's not even start writing this thing until we're fucking out of this pandemic, you know? And, and we have the, the benefit of, of hindsight and, and can see, you know, what actually happened and, and the mistakes that were made along the way. Um, there was something else with TV this week. Oh, right, right, right. It was Nick Pelleggi, uh, Brian Grazer, Terrence Winter teaming up to do this uh, mafia series for Showtime about the first uh, the first family. That sounds like it could be pretty interesting. I've got my grandmother and my father creeping down the stairs right now for just putting my niece to bed, trying to be very quiet. But uh, how are you guys doing? Everything's fine. Hi, man. All right. Um, anyways, this mafia series from Showtime, could it be the next Sopranos? I mean, here, here's hoping. Nick Pelagi, the uh, writer of Casino and Goodfellas, Brian Grazer, power producer, Terrence Winter, um, you know, wrote for The Sopranos himself, created Boardwalk Empire. So they've got three real heavy hitters on that project. Uh, of course, The Sopranos was a success because of casting. It was all about Jim Gandolfini and Edie Falco and, and all those supporting players. So, you know, another Jim Gandolfini is not just walking through that door. Um, but I'm still excited for this one uh, and its development nonetheless. And it's nice to see uh, Showtime get in on that. Like, you know, it'd be harder for HBO, I think, to go to wade back into those mafia waters, having already, like, set the bar. Um, and these guys set the bar themselves, which is why they know what it's going to take to clear it. Um, 
massive release date changes this week. Star Wars, Avatar, everything got pushed a year. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, uh, Spider-Man 3 uh, is now taking over the Avatar 2 date in December 2021. It's going to be weird to see a Spider-Man movie that's not animated uh, in December, if, of course, it sticks to that date. Top Gun 2 and A Quiet Place 2 were also delayed, so Paramount basically punted its entire uh, 2020 slate next year. They did, um, you know, I, I feel like Without Remorse was not part of that, those date changes, so I was like, oh, maybe they're just m- sort of moving, like, the the blockbusters, and um, and they're just going to kind of throw caution to the wind with Without Remorse and see how it does, but then, like, the very next day, it turned out that Amazon, they sold the movie to Amazon, and so it'll be Amazon releasing Without Remorse, and I think it's going to be coming up before the end of the year. Now, Without Remorse is based on... Um, I think it's like uh, James Greer, who is uh, another character in that Jack Ryan universe. So could they have Michael B. Jordan potentially do something with John Krasinski's Jack Ryan? Technically, uh, Amazon could. I don't think that that is, is what Michael B. Jordan had in mind. But to me, it was just so funny that this is supposed to be, it was designed as a franchise starter for Paramount. And then they're just like, you know what? Just fucking give it to Amazon. Like, Paramount just selling itself off piece by piece by piece. It's, it's, it's kind of wild, man. It's, it's scary because who knows, you know, how much longer they're going to be around, even though Viacom just today announced they're going to be sinking a ton more money into, into streaming and uh, building up that CBS All Access slash Viacom app. Um, Sam Rockwell signing on to star or in talks to star in a Merle Haggard biopic. I would also see him do his own singing. Merle Haggard is the, you know, iconic country uh, musician, uh, singer songwriter. He's got a zillion number one hits. And yet I couldn't, at least off the top of my head, name a single Merle Haggard biopic. And so while, you know, I, I love Sam Rockwell, I'll see almost anything Sam Rockwell's in. And I actually think it's pretty good casting as Merle Haggard. Like Merle, if you're a Merle Haggard fan, you probably have to be uh, pretty happy with this. On the other hand, this seems like the, a movie that would fit under Amazon's old strategy. You know, like they they had sort of gotten got rid of Ted Hope and a whole bunch of other people, and and they said we want to make bigger movies, more commercial movies, because the strategy just wasn't working. Maybe they see this as an awards play, and that's why they're they're down to do it. Um, maybe I'm just underestimating the appeal of country music and, and Merle Haggard. I mean, I'm sure he has millions of fans. Like, but would they? Are these the kind of people who want to go see a biopic of him? That that I don't know. It doesn't strike me as, as the smartest play for um, Amazon. You know, there's just a whole bunch of other musicians out there who seem a lot bigger to me. Um, but, you know, w- w- with the right package, I guess, uh, and at the right cost, sure. I mean, shit, the, sa- the soundtrack alone, you know, you could maybe do pre- uh, pretty good business on that. So. Anyways, it's a reunion for uh, for Sam Rockwell and Robin Bissell, the director of The Best of Enemies, which was a movie I did not actually see. Um, Netflix picked up Ryan Reynolds and Sean Levy's uh, Skydance movie. This is the, the time travel one. It was going to be Our Name is Adam. It was originally a Paramount, developed as a Tom Cruise vehicle. Uh, so this is yet another project that Paramount basically just let go of. I know Skydance was leading development and everything, but you know now Netflix has another Ryan Reynolds project uh, after Six Underground. And you know Sean, Sean Levy, who they're already in bits with on Stranger Things, uh, so yeah, a, a, a smart, probably a smart play for Netflix. And it's like, are, are, is this the only 
place that's going to be fucking acquiring these big projects anymore. It's, it's wild to me. Um, Apple. God, now we're just going down the streaming list. Apple uh, got Elizabeth Moss to, to star in The Shining Girls. This is another time-traveling project. Uh, it's about a time-traveling serial killer. I started reading the book. I never finished it. It's by Lauren Bukes. Um, yeah, I've had the book for years because DiCaprio has de- been developing this thing for ages. He's going to exec, exec produce with Elizabeth Moss. Listen, she, she's a fantastic actress. She's, she's, this is her moment. And I think that she senses it. She's signing on to a whole bunch of stuff, just launched her production company. Um, she's got a whole bunch of things in the works, but the, the Shining Girls is probably the best play out of all of them. And I think this is going to be a major, major Apple series kind of can't wait to see who they get to direct that thing um speaking of streaming services what's up with the sound of metal that's riz ahmed's movie that's supposed to be coming out in two weeks on amazon still no trailer so i'm just gonna let you know right now prediction time i haven't heard anything i did check in with a publicist last night on it and i haven't heard back i'm almost positive that the sound of metal is going to be moving because if it wasn't why haven't we seen a trailer at this point from amazon they almost always release trailers you know more than two three weeks in advance um could could we see a sound of metal trailer in the next week sure uh it's possible but the fact that we haven't seen it yet and it's just been very quiet on that front makes me think that they are pushing it maybe they're going to push it you know uh to january february and qualify for the uh to to still qualify for the oscars and it'll be a little bit fresher in people's minds but i've heard riz Ahmed is tremendous and it's about a drummer who slowly, slowly starts losing his hearing. And one reason I, I actually may be happy if it is delayed is that I've heard this movie you have to see in a theater because of the, the sound design, right? Um, I don't want to see that at, at home. I, I've heard, heard it was like giving people seizures too with some of the flashing lights and stuff because it's, you know, uh, a lot of concert scenes and, and things like that. Um, I really like the team that made it. I love Riz, Riz Ahmed, love the premise. Just just want Amazon to handle that one with care. Um, what else this week? Shit, I, I'm going to have a rumor of the week for you. Um, there's a couple other things. Let's see. Lionsgate struck a deal with BuzzFeed. I don't understand these kinds of deals. It's like, why are the experts, Lionsgate, who make movies, why are they turning to BuzzFeed to help them develop this uh, a feature slate? Why? Because... BuzzFeed's plugged into what millennials want. Like, I don't know, Lionsgate, go hire some millennials yourself, like, or some Gen Zers. I just, I mean, I don't read BuzzFeed. I don't pay attention to BuzzFeed. I don't fucking care about BuzzFeed. And if BuzzFeed offered me a job today, I'd probably turn them down. Um, But yeah, I I don't, uh, I just don't get it. You know, what, what, what is it that BuzzFeed offers them? Is it analytics, statistics, uh, I mean, they do maybe one or two long-form stories a year that I could see being developed into a decent movie. Um, but, you know, if, it's like if, if I was just asking staff websites to come up with a good movie, I, I'd turn to a site like Collider or Slash Film or, you know, just someone who's like movie obsessives. People at BuzzFeed will, will may think that they are, but uh, I don't know. You can't make the list the movie. Um, sorry to get down on, on BuzzFeed there, but, uh, yeah, not, not a big fan. George Clooney directing the tender bar. This is a coming of age movie about a kid, uh, growing up on Long Island without a father. And so he, he seeks out father figures at his uncle's bar. Um, 
that sounds like a really interesting movie to me. Again, it's all going to come down to the casting of the kid, but uh, George Clooney, it's, it's a change of pace for him as a director. It's a little bit uh, softer. It's, I, I, I'm kind of looking forward to, to this one, to seeing what he can do with that kind of story based on a J.R. Moringer uh, memoir. And I don't know if Clooney will be taking a role in this himself. He has appeared in every single movie that he has directed, except for one. Um, what's the last movie he fucking directed? Forgetting the movie that he actually wasn't in. God damn it. Uh, shit. Now, now it's going to drive me crazy. I have to look it up. Um, so, but you know, he, he could end up playing the, the uncle. Who knows? What the fuck? Why can't I get this? He's in the eyes of March. Leatherhead's good night and good luck. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I feel like it's the most recent movie that he directed that I'm like totally blanking on. Suburbicon. That's what it was. I mean, that's the most fucking forgettable movie. <laughs> yes, he, he, he gave that one to Matt Damon to take the hit on that one. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown starring in this uh, another another Netflix movie, The Girls I've Been. This is She's going to be playing the daughter of a con artist who has learned a few tricks of the trade herself. Uh, she has, and so her ex-boyfriend and her secret girlfriend go to a bank to deposit some money and two guys bust it to the bank and take it hostage. And so this girl has to sort of rely on the, the, the tools and the tricks that she has learned from her mother in order to beat the robbers at their own game and get her friends out of the situation alive. Sounds, you know, interesting for, for Millie Bobby Brown, like certainly more interesting than, uh, you know, Enola Holmes or, or, or whatever she's got cooking over there. So, you know, I'm, I'm down to see this again. It, I, I'm curious to see who, who they get to direct this and who the two friends will be. Um, but Millie Bobby Brown means a hell of a lot to Netflix and then it is smart of them to, to stay in business with her. Bruna Herzog uh, directing a new documentary, Fireball, um, for I think it's Apple, and, and it's going to del- delve into you know the the um, the mysteries of outer space and how they impact uh, the collective human imagination. That sounds kind of interesting. Just the idea of Werner Herzog talking about uh, black holes and things like that sounds pretty cool. Um, Ricardo de Montreal has a new social thriller called Daniel. That sounded kind of interesting. Universal picked up the new Tom, Tom Cruise space movie. I don't think it's a done deal yet. They're, they're sort of circling it and weighing uh, the numbers and what those would look like. I mean, it seems crazy to me, the, 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 the entire project. Like, I, it doesn't seem like what human beings should be doing. I mean, I guess it's a nice thing to aspire to. But the idea of sending Tom Cruise, who is, would be 62 years old by the time he wraps the next two Mission Impossible movies, and then does all the training for this and actually gets launched in outer space. It's going to be like 62 years old. Like, I don't want to lose Tom Cruise trying to make some fucking Doug Lyman space movie. I'm just saying, it's very unpredictable up there. Anything could happen. Astronauts go through years of training. I know Tom Cruise is, is practically God and can, can accomplish anything. He can climb buildings, hang off of planes, all that shit. Um, but I don't know. It, it just seems cost prohibitive. Like how much, like this would have to cost hundreds of million dollars. You're not just shooting a $200 million movie. You're, you're going into space with cameras and crew and cast. And I don't know. seems fucking insane to me. Um, but Hey, kudos to universal. Maybe we'll get to stream it 17 days uh, after it hits theaters. No, that is the kind of movie that they won't put on VOD. Same thing with Jurassic and all those movies. You, you think that this new deal will allow them to, uh, you know, it does allow them to do it, but 
trust me, Universal's not going to be putting those movies out on VOD uh, 17 days after theaters. Uh, CAA wound up cleaning house this week. I mean, maybe that's a, a bad term for it, but, uh, you know, there was like hundreds and hundreds of, of layoffs and furloughs. Um, the agency business is going to, I think, look very different after all the dust settles and after all is said and done. You're going to see agents leaving to become managers so that they can get producing fees. I think a lot of writers are like, you know, what do I even need an agent for at this point? It's been a year and a half and, and I'm either still working or I'm not. You know, that, that depends on a variety of different factors. Um, listen, I... Agents, it's complicated, and you'll never hear Mike Fleming or, or any you know major industry reporter saying anything bad about them because they rely on them for all the information. And listen, there's a bunch of there's a handful of agents that I love and who are I can tell are just genuinely good people who are there to support their clients. You know, on the other hand, I think it's hard to deny that agents are a cutthroat bunch. You know, and they have they they will not hesitate to, to screw you if you if you mess with their business. Um, you know, I've always gotten along a little bit better with managers. Uh, I'm not happy at all about all these layoffs and people losing their jobs. I think it's it's awful. And, and my heart goes out to them, having been in that situation many times myself. Um, but yeah, you know, when, when some, some of these guys are making millions and millions of dollars, and so when, when they're you know complaining about pay cuts and things like that, it's just, I, I think that the upper class in Hollywood, um, they, they really have forgotten what it means to live on 50, 60, 70 grand a year. And often even less than that, you know, for, for assistants who could, could be making 25, 30, 40 grand a year. I don't know how you live in Los Angeles on that kind of money. Um, and so I, I think there just needs to be an entire, you know, recalibration of the pay scale throughout the industry. Uh, you know, not that it'll happen. All right. We've got mailbag questions and I've got a rumor of the week, even though it's a very old stale rumor of the week. Uh, let me just see if there's anything else that I missed. I'm going down the list. Oh, I did want to talk about some more trailers. Uh, Gajillionaire trailer came out today. That's the new Miranda July comedy with uh, Gina Rodriguez and Evan Rachel Wood. She's using a very odd accent in this Evan Rachel Wood. It's a, it's a, she speaks in a real heavy voice, but uh, again, I'll see anything Richard Jenkins is in. Gina is my, my home girl from NYU. Um, and I really like Miranda July. I didn't love the future, but me and you and everyone we know, brilliant movie. So, uh, you know, excited to check that out. Um, that is, you know, the kind of movie that Universal could send to VOD three weeks later. Really like the trailer for The Fugitive. I think that looks like a lot of fun on Quibi. That could be their, their breakout hit with Kiefer Sutherland and, um, and Boyd Holbrook. I showed my dad that trailer. He wanted to sign up for Quibi. I mean, if you're a fan of 24, it's like, how do you not watch that? We got a trailer, trailer for The Comey Rule. Just a little tease showing off uh, Brennan Gleason and Jeff Daniels as um, Trump and Comey. And, and that's going to make waves in Showtime, I think. You can already sort of sense the buzz around that one. Uh, Spree got a trailer, the Joe Keery Sundance movie, where he plays like a, a rideshare driver uh, who, who starts killing his passengers for the benefit of his streaming audience. Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, the Ren and Stimpy documentary, got a little minute and a half long trailer that got acquired by Gravitas and is going to come out on VOD in, in a couple of weeks. I thought that was a really excellent documentary. Dave Trumbull gave it an A. Centigrade trailer came out. That's about a couple who get stuck in their car, like in a, in a snowstorm, and so the car gets absolutely buried. Um, what else? Uh, so Sputnik. I think I talked about that one last week. That's like a, it's like a Russian take on Alien. 
Um, and then Luca Guadagnino's We Are Who We Are, um, which looks like a special kind of HBO series, Jack Dylan Grazer uh, from the It movies. And, um, and then this newcomer, Jordan Christine Seaman, she, she could be great uh, for up and comer of the month in, in September. I got to keep, uh, I got to get my hands on those screeners so I can see what's cooking. Um, and I'm also telling you right now my intention to watch a Terrence Malick double feature. I've never seen Badlands and I've never seen Days of Heaven. And they're both about an hour and a half long and I'm going to watch them back to back maybe as soon as this weekend. Um, Deadline. Deadline loves breaking embargo. It's the second time uh, in the last week where they've broken an embargo on, on tenant news. Uh, I was a little peeved with Warner Brothers this week because it's like, well, if they keep breaking embargo, why do you keep including them on, on embargoes? Like, I don't understand that. Deadline, they love posting a minute before the embargo. What is the point of that? If you're going to break the embargo, fucking break it, bro. Like, I... I just, it makes no sense to me. Why are the, all these fig, guys at, at Deadline making six figures, right? And they can't tell time. They can't read a clock. It's real simple. As soon as the clock changes to 10 a.m., then you hit publish and you have a 10 a.m. publishing thing. If it says 9.59 on it, that means you published a minute early. And if you're a studio, I just have no, it, it fucking drives me nuts. It drives me insane. And it's entitling. And Deadline has gotten away with it for years. It's time to call them on the bullshit. Forget about them linking. I don't even fucking care about a link. I care about them breaking embargo. I wasn't even included on the embargo, so it's not like we got screwed. We got screwed anyways by the studio that can't, you know, take It's just frustrating situation on all these tenant delays, guys. Frustrating situation. Um, okay. Rumor of the week. Let's do it. So last week, there was a Billy Eichner story that hit deadline. He's going to be playing uh, Paul Lind, who was, you know, the, this closeted gay man. He, he didn't deny that he was gay, but he also, you know, wasn't out about it back then. Obviously, he was the uh, on Hollywood Squares. So, the, you know, deadline did this big interview with him. And um, he said, you talked about his Universal project, which has been in the works for like the last two years. Nick Stoller is going to direct it, say gay romantic comedy in a sense more of a comedy it's a gay rom-com it's a gay rom-com um so billy talked about this project he said whenever there's a gay character i'm doing this rom-com about a gay male couple that i wrote and i'm starring in for universal with judd's producing and nick stoller and i co-wrote it we were just about to shoot it when covid hit so that is that indicated to me that this project is a little bit further along than i maybe thought that it was Uh, So he said, hopefully we'll shoot it next year, but I'm an EP on that and heavily involved in all ways. So I was privy to casting discussions and I would see when the casting lists were circulating about which actors to call in for which role. There were so many straight actors on every list to play gay characters. And then at the beginning, before I raised my voice for the straight characters in the movie, there were never gay actors on the list for those roles. I saw with my own eyes, it's not a two-way street. I'm trying to change that because I also think it's so important for us to be able to tell our own stories. So I think if you read between the lines of that, it's pretty simple that it says, we are going to be hiring a gay man for, to play this gay character. I think that that seems really important to Billy Eichner. Um, now, I, I love Billy Eichner. I think he's hilarious. And in fact, I started uh, working on a, a project that I want to pitch to Billy Eichner. I think him and Neil Patrick Harris would be amazing in a movie together. It's called Man to Man. And Neil Patrick Harris would be, they'd be playing guys who are like on a first date 
and you know Neil Patrick Harris is like a cop and he ends up you know saving Billy Eichner's life or Billy Eichner saves him and they go on a run you know it's like an action comedy kind of thing um man to man I'm into it but it's not gonna be Neil Patrick Harris on this one the name that I have long heard for this project uh, which was tentatively titled Bros. And again, I, I don't know if that's going to be the ultimate title. I don't know if this actor has been cast or not. But the name that I've always heard was Luke McFarlane, who played a gay man on Brothers and Sisters and in April 2008 confirmed that he's actually gay in real life. Uh, he's a Canadian actor. He confirmed his, his sexual orientation in an interview. He said, I don't know what will happen professionally. That is the fear you know, that it could affect his career. But I guess I can't really be concerned about what will happen because it's my truth. There's this desire in LA to wonder who you are and what's been uh, blaring for me for the last three years is how I can be most authentic to myself. So this is the first time I'm speaking about, out about it in this way. So uh, Luke McFarland has been out and proud for the last 12 years. Um, you know, I'm not terribly familiar with his, his work. He, he, he seemed like a, a good looking guy but is there any, you know, can he actually act? Is, is he funny? Can he stick a punchline? That kind of thing. Um, that I, I, I don't know. Uh, but I think that Billy sort of covers like that kind, that kind of gay man. So, you know, th- this kind of gay man, this character, I think is going to be like the, the good looking, always in the gym type. And, and Billy Eichner, you know, obviously plays a little bit different. Not, you know, Bill, Billy's a, a good looking guy himself. Um, and so, yeah. that is who I've heard for this project with Billy Eichner is Luke McFarlane. We'll see if it actually happens. That rumor has been around for a long, long time. Uh, Yeah. Um, Before we get into mailbag questions, want to do a quick RIP. Olivia de Havilland died this, uh, this week. John Saxon, who's, you know, so great in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And then Regis Philbin. Good old Reg. Loved, loved him. He entertained me. Uh, all kinds of ways on, on so many shows always seem like, you know, the, the grandpa I always wanted. Um, and, uh, not, you know, I, I had a great grandpa myself. Love you, Papa Joe. Um, but yeah, Regis, RIP, man. Uh, he had a, a, just a hell of a career. All right. We're going to close the show with some mailbag questions. John Hayek wrote in a uh, quick question. Not sure if you have very interesting thoughts on Emmy nominees. I think we talked about that. My favorite show, Better Call Saul, was snubbed in lead actor. That's right. Bob Odenkirk uh, didn't get in. Unbelievable. Um, no love for Caitlin Deaver or Merritt Weaver. I didn't even realize Merritt Weaver wasn't nominated for Unbelievable. That is fucking crazy. Um, yeah, Stranger Things 3 and, and Mandalorian getting in despite not having any above the line n- nominations. In a great year of TV, some of the inclusions missions felt strange. Well, we already talked about that, John, so I'm sorry to, to have saved your Emmy question for the, for the end. Um, but yeah, I felt like I already kind of covered that. Derek Walker Jr., in early 2017, New Line was an early development on a horror film set in the world of Frank L. Frank Baum's Wonderful w- Wizard of Oz. Is there any update or has it been scrapped? I haven't heard a goddamn thing about a Wizard of Oz horror movie or anything about that, no. Uh, Derek also asks, are there any screenplays on Hollywood's blacklist that you're looking forward to or hoping to actually make it to production? Um, that's a good question too. I mean, I don't, you know, I can't think of every goddamn thing that was on the blacklist. Um, but there was always that project Sunflower from Misha Green, who, whose time has come this month. She's, uh, you know, did a uh, Lovecraft country with JJ and Jordan Peele. She had this project Sunflower, um, that I'd always heard good things about. I'm not sure if it was on the blacklist or not. I think that it was. 
think Ben Stiller was going to do it at some point. It involves like somebody being held hostage inside of a barn or something like that, maybe. I don't know. Sunflower. Go back and look that one up. Will Drajula has asked, what's one dream pairing that hasn't happened yet that you'd like to see in movies? I'd love to see Bale and DiCaprio team up, team up and go at it like uh, Pacino and De Niro did in Heat. Um, <clears throat> that would certainly be a good one. Although the the pairing, I'd like to see DiCaprio with, with Tommy C. I mean, to me, to me, there's no movie star like, like Tom Cruise. Um, so, and yet he, he's rarely paired with another gigantic name, like you know, interview with a vampire. He's with Brad Pitt. But that, that was way back in the day before Brad Pitt was even a, a gigantic deal. Um, yeah. I'd like to see Tom Cruise with DiCaprio, Tom Cruise with Will Smith, that kind of stuff. Because I think when Tom Cruise does have, you know, a, a co-star, who, you know, I don't know that there's any co-stars that are on equal footing with Tom Cruise, but when he does have another A-lister, I, I feel like he really steps his, his game up. I mean, I, you know, I love him and Jamie Foxx going at it in collateral, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that'll do it for the Snyder Cut this week. I'm, I'm out of time. It's been about an hour, I think. Uh, I'm sure that there was much more to, to discuss. Um, oh, there was one more thing before I wrap up. Tenet. Like I said, for months, all you guys are like, oh, no, Snyder doesn't know what he's talking about. What are these sources? He doesn't cite any sources, blah, 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 blah. What did I fucking tell you guys? First of all, it's a, it got pulled from another release date. It's now going to come over Labor Day weekend. It's coming out first internationally around uh, August 26th through 28th, um, you know, opening in different parts of the world on different days. But um, a Labor Day release. So after all this, they settled on one of the absolute worst times to release a movie, which is Labor Day. But maybe that's part of the whole strategy is that, well, people don't go to theaters over Labor Day weekend, so, you know, it won't be too crowded and um, that kind of thing. I still think that piracy has to be a huge concern here. The second it comes out overseas, it's going to be available on torrent sites, uh, particularly because, you know, security in, in foreign theaters is so terrible. It was cleared for a release in China. Um, so the running time apparently will not make much of a difference uh, there. Um, Again, I just think it's—I just think it's silly. I don't know why why Warner Brothers is insisting on putting this movie out on being first, right, second to Unhinged. Forgive me, Solstice Studios, the the true savior of, of the movie going experience. Um, yeah, I, I just—I—it seems like a terrible idea. Are, are theaters really going to be okay to go to in four or five weeks? Not, not based on the numbers I'm seeing. Uh, so yeah, I don't think anything is final, final until you're actually sitting there in the theater watching it. And before we close the show, Ray Fisher, just please stop talking. I know that's not going to be a popular sentiment, but it's like, uh, unless you're coming with receipts and, and you've got evidence, just no comment and all the Joss Whedon stuff. You're making yourself look bad. Other filmmakers do not want to work with you. Um, you know, you can't be talking about how unprofessional Joss Whedon is. This is not what professionalism looks like. So I think both of you look completely ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I, I understand now is not the time to sweep allegations under the rug and stuff like that. But it's also like, it seems like you're out on this island alone for the most part. Um, not that Joss Whedon isn't a known POS, if you will. 
I don't give a fuck about Joss Whedon. I, I, you know, I, re- I really don't like his stuff. I never did. Um, but Ray Fisher, it's like you could have a really nice career, but you got to play the game, and that means shutting your mouth. So just a little word of wisdom, some friendly advice from someone who doesn't want to see you shoot yourself in the foot. That'll do it for the Snyder Cut. That's the episode. We're done. Make sure to send mailbag questions on Thursdays. Follow me on Twitter at uh, – well, follow me at, at the Insider on Twitter and Instagram, and, and make sure to order a cameo, guys. Order a goddamn cameo. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. Wear sunscreen, or else you're going to end up looking like me. Bye, guys. It's that little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you gotta play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.